There's Cold by Maroon 5. It's Richard Bobson here on Radio Bath here till midday today. Hope you're having a good day so far. So today on A Story to Tell, I've got the lovely Harriet Daham Bouchard. Hopefully I've pronounced that okay. Coming up later on, and we're going to be talking all about artistry and being a portrait painter as well. If you do have any questions for her, email in at studio at radiobath.com or you can message your text to Bath followed by your message to 80011. Any music requests today? I'm always up for music requests as well. If you want to do that, more than happy. So we'll be back with Harriet fairly shortly. wide range of services from large challenging tree removals to orchard pruning and tree risk assessments our dedicated team provides free no obligation quotes and adheres to the british standard for tree work experience exceptional customer service and professionalism from our highly qualified arborists for all your tree and garden needs contact us on 033 456 or visit high-line.co.uk slash bristol highline We're all about trees. Time is money. And whilst you take care of growing your business, let us lend you a hand in ensuring you have the right people to help your business flourish. Simple Recruitment understands the investment a company makes into finding the right candidates. So let's ensure yours is a sound one. It really is that simple. Give our friendly and trained consultants a call on 01761 235 741 or go online simplerecruitmentltd.co.uk today. There's a new world of driving at Bath Audi nestled in the heart of Peasdown St. John. Tired of frequent fill-ups during your commute? With an Audi electric vehicle, recharge at home while you recharge yourself through a peaceful night's rest. Ready for an extended test drive adventure? Come on over and experience an EV like never before. Find us online at monmotors.com or visit us in Peasdown St. John for unbeatable offers and the future of driving. Bath Audi, where your electrifying journey begins. Locally made, this is Radio Bath. Tempting me with sweet lies Pull me right in every time Every road back to you leads to pain So you'll find me 10,000 miles away
love that one. That's a new one by Beverly Knight. I'm on fire. Right, so it's Richard Bowson here until midday today. On a story to tell today, we have Harriet Deham Bouchard. I'm going to try and pronounce it in the best way I possibly can. Uh, artist and illustrator, and she's going to tell us all about her journey so far. Welcome to Radio Bath, Harriet. Good morning, how are you? Good morning, Richard. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Yeah, it's, it's always kind of weird. I, so we know each other from dancing, which I think I've said that a few times on the radio before. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, you are a, a lovely person. That's all I'm going to say to Thank start you. with. <laughs> so, um, to be here. Tell us all about yourself, Harriet. So, um, where to start? So, I'm a portrait painter. I've been doing it professionally for about 13 years now. Um, I was born in London and uh, went to the French Lycée. And then I moved to uh, Bath, where I went to St. Gregory's, which a lot of people will know. Um, yeah. And then I went to a school called Downside, where my mum was a teacher. My father went to school, um, where I actually met my now husband, Ooh, which we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk later, about I'm sure. Later, no doubt. <laughs> um, then I came back to Bath. I worked in Marks and Spencers for a few years um, to help pay for my training. And then I went off to Florence for a few years, where I trained um, sort of in very traditional classical techniques um learning to sort of you know inverted commas paint like the old masters okay um in hope <laughs> and uh, i've been back now for 13 i think 12 13 years and have somehow survived this whole time which has been great but um loving every second and you're based in bradford Avon now aren't you now based in bradford Avon. moved there a couple of years ago um but uh, before that was based in center of bath and um love it love this area fabulous so what type of artist are you there's loads and loads of different artists we had the lovely charlie minty in here a few months ago and he's a street artist so he stands in the center of bath and uh yeah he is painting all of the things around him and variety of his pieces what type of painter are you first i'd like to say i have a huge admiration for people who stand there and paint and people come and look over their shoulders i think it's so brave yeah. <laughs> so um yeah kudos to charlie um so i i work off private commission I paint portraits, which I've said already. And um, recently during COVID, which I'm sure we'll probably talk about later, I also branched off into illustration, yeah. uh, which was, started off as a side hustle and turned into a completely separate um, sort of secondary career, which is rather fun. Um, so one's the more serious side of things, which is what I always wanted to do. Um, so when I was seven years old, I decided I was going to paint portraits for a living. My father showed me a book on an artist called Auguste Ingres, um, and I looked at them and uh, I said, these are beautiful. And also my, my parents are both artists. I've always been very aware of how difficult it can be to survive in the art world. And um, I think I said to him, what are the chances of surviving if you're a portrait painter? And he said, well, I think if you're going to be an artist, probably being a portrait painter is the most reliable line you could go down. And uh, he said, I gave him a look when I was seven and I said, I'll do it. <laughs> and it's just, I've never swayed off from that moment. So it's always been, um, when you read my school reports going back, it's always, I'm going to be a portrait painter when I'm older or, you know, Harry, it could have tried harder. <laughs> but, um, and then my, my sort of reflection would be, well, um, I could have done better, but it's okay because I'm going to be an artist. You're always so, going to be that poor Yeah, <laughs> I think I always just had tunnel visions. Everything else sort of slightly went out of the window, but um, 
It's good. You sort of corner yourself into surviving. Now, we were on the way together, so I, I brought Harriet in today to the station, and uh, we were discussing about the fact that I do a variety of different things. So I'm a dance teacher normally. I have a variety of other things that I have the pleasure of doing. And we discussed how good am I at art. Now, <laughs> let's just say I have quite a few different skills that I can say that I'm not bad at dancing and you know, variety of bits and pieces. Artistry, not so much. So my Pictionary is stick figures that's as far as it goes we love people like you it keeps us in a job <laughs> it does keep you in a job so my my question to that is when you do pictionary if you ever play pictionary okay what do you like do you like take it you know really seriously has it got to be beautiful or, or are you a stick figure like me oh i don't know i think probably i would try and do the shading and get it <laughs> you should see my dad i'm i'm a hybrid between my mum and my dad halfway my mum is much looser slightly more modern but very very good with paint and my father is much more classical and um, loves architecture and the details and all those things um so i think if you pose that uh, that question to my father <laughs> he would be there he would be there for hours trying to draw pictures. you've only got a minute yeah he, he wouldn't cope there'd be a line i think yeah. my mum took him to a life drawing class when they first started going out and um it was on a sort of romantic date kind of thing and the whole class at the end were doing a 30 minute pose and they all went around to the front um, of the class to get the front on vision and my dad who doesn't particularly like um, clouds he loves clouds actually but he doesn't like um, crowds and he uh, went and sat behind and then just did a very good close up very detailed picture of this woman's bottom okay um (laughs) I don't, yeah, probably not the right thing to say on radio, but... You're um, allowed to say the word bottom. Yeah, I'll That's say okay. bottom. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I'm not sure how that answers your question. I'm not sure how I got onto my dad drawing bottoms, <laughs> quite frankly. Do you know what? I, there's no plan. There really isn't. We can just chat about <laughs> where we like. <laughs> so we've gone from you de- being good at Pictionary mm-hmm. to your dad painting a bottom. Yeah, I'm not sure how we went around in that That's circle. okay. It's, it's, it's quite a it's quite a The mind of an artist. <laughs> so how, how is it being an artist, your professional artist, and very few people get to do their love professionally. I'm very fortunate. I'm a dance teacher, and I get to do that full time, and I'm very fortunate at that. You know, the classic phrase of if you do something you love, you'll never work another day in your life. It's absolute rubbish. It's really hard work. Okay, but it is something you still love doing. So how is it being a professional artist then? It's great. I mean, of course, it comes with its... um, Having having grown up with artists, I've always been very aware of what hard work it is to survive in this industry. Uh, So definitely hard work is key. (laughs) I think, um, luckily, I'm quite optimistic by nature. So I think that works very much in my favour. And that uh, sort of helps add a big ingredient into the survival of being an artist but I love it I mean it's like you said um, do a job you love and you never work a day in your life and I do wake up every day excited about what projects I'm going to work on albeit slightly stressed occasionally of course if you've got sort of multiple deadlines or I think people often don't realise the amount of time that goes into creating something Um, so yeah sometimes you have to and it's quite difficult you have to really try and focus on one thing at a time and Mm. if you're trying to work on five different projects at once you just end up with your head going in circles and it's a nightmare but I love it I'm not sure if that answers your question. I it think does. I went a yeah, little yeah. bit off piece there. No, I, I think this is going to be the theme of the next couple of hours, actually. Is that <laughs> I, I might ask a random question and we get a random answer, but I'm, I'm more good with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
astronauts <laughs> radio it's <laughs> it my strength now you were in bath life recently weren't you what was that all about then uh, again just talking about being in austin bath talking about um I'm not sure. I haven't actually read the article for quite a while. <laughs> Have you read it? Can you recap? No, you... I, I, I'll be honest. I just saw the picture of you in Bath Life. So. Oh, no, it was you... lovely. They got in contact and asked if I wanted to do a piece. Um, and I think Bath is quite good in terms of... Um, tradi- I, I, I suppose also, particularly in what I do as a portrait painter... Um, in sort of Georgian times, it's where people would have come during the season to have their portrait painted. So it links in quite well with the city anyway. Yeah. So it's got that nice heritage background of it being something that um, people associate with the city. And also you're surrounded by beauty here. Yes. Um, but uh, again, what was the question? <laughs> we're all good. Now, I'm going to ask you one more question this little bit and then we're going to move on to some <laughs> other stuff. Okay. And that is, this is going to be the most difficult question of the day for you. Okay. So... I have four children, okay? And then somebody said to me once, can you choose a favourite one? And I was like, of course I can't choose a favourite one. They're all exactly equal in my eyes, okay? How many paintings do you think you've done, first of all, approximately, in your time? You know, I have absolutely no idea. Okay, are we talking tens, hundreds, thousands? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, if I completely eliminate the illustration side of things... Yeah. And the animals, which is another branch that I went into a few years ago. Um, in terms of big portraits, maybe over a hundred. Over a hundred. Do you have a favourite one? Oh, I've got a few favourites. Oh, go on, tell me about I've your favourite ones. I've got a few favourites. Um, I'm going to name drop slightly here. Um, I Hang did on, one. Just get a pen. I'm oh. just going to just going to drop the pen each time you do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I did a painting of author Anthony Horowitz and okay. his family a few years ago, which I really enjoyed and I really love it because it's got quite a strong sense of perspective it was a fascinating um, portrait to actually take on because obviously he's very creative he Mm. writes you know incredible books Um, so for that one I was um, taken into his uh, studio space where he writes his novels all by hand and uh, he actually showed me the manuscript for the latest James Bond at the time, which was all written by hand before it got published, which Amazing. I think is probably one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me in my career. Um, and uh, But th- he had his wife there who helps with producing a lot of his pieces on TV. Um, his son was also... Yeah, I mean, I think so, both of his sons sort of work with him. And they were all there in this creative environment with different things. So there was Tintin, which inspires him a lot. There was a, a real think it was a real skull because okay. um, he likes to be reminded of the mortality of life which is apparently he said part of why he's so avid and creative um but sort of seeing another creative person and getting them into that context but also it was a much more contemporary image compared to what i was trained to do which would okay. tend to be much more um traditional so that was a fascinating project um i've done a few bishops which i always really enjoy doing right um and again completely different direction so you've got sort of writers you've got bishops <laughs> um and uh that they're fantastic because of course they wear their traditional um, yeah. sort of gowns and things or they call habits and i'm not i can't remember the words escape me right now <laughs> i think habit is the correct word <laughs> well, ha- yeah. habits are what monks wear um, oh is that okay my brain's gone completely blank anyway um, they wear clothing of some sort they, that makes them look like a bishop yeah I, I can't we'll believe go with that I'm we'll good, find out after Catholic the break <laughs> completely escaped me but um, anyway but uh, they're always fantastic because they're in very traditional um, sort of clothing let's say yeah. and uh, the colours tend to be quite bright and the subject matter also you know you, you tend to be dealing on average with older men who have got really interesting faces um, okay. and they're all lovely they're oh. really nice really nice experiences 
um, all very humble people that I've worked with. Um, so that's lovely. Um, yeah, not, another one of my favourites. And actually, I will do a little shout out. Well, shout out. It's very sadly he passed away a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it was the first major commission I ever took on was the Lord Chief Justice of England and Wales. Okay. And that was one year into my career, and I was so scared. <laughs> and. Um, he took me to the Royal Courts of Justice and I turned up with my tripod and my camera not knowing what to expect and they let me through the security and then he took out the, um, the robes and the wig and the, sort of the chain that apparently only comes out a couple of times a year for the Queen and I could not believe this was happening yeah. <laughs> you know, I was thinking oh gosh you know why me the pinch um, yourself moment I was oh completely and then he showed me around the courtrooms um, and it was just amazing it was sort of like an out of body experience so that happened and then they, he and his wife Judith were just the loveliest people on earth and at that point I was only working from life which is how I was trained although now I tend to um, bring photographs into things a bit more Um, and um, I would go up to their place in rugby for a few days at a time and they were just sort of they just took me in as an additional grandchild and of course I was in my early 20s at that point and it was just so nice because these people could have been so scary so intimidating and um, they had no reason to be super nice to me but they just I think that one is the piece that I hold most dear in my heart because it was the real sort of launching platform from being a young person in their 20s who had quite frankly apart from knowing how to draw reasonably well absolutely no idea what I was doing at that point in life Um, still don't really (laughs) wing it on a daily basis and um, they I think I mean I remember the first time I was standing there with my mirror looking at him my hands were shaking I was was just so nervous and um, they just made the whole thing so easy and it completely changed how my confidence grew dealing with people going forward and yeah. also the sort of level of respect that you expect back because it's so easy I think as an artist to feel like people are doing you a favour when you're producing something and buying a piece of your work okay. and um, it's really good I think just as a general rule in life to remember that actually you know you're producing something exciting and good for them and you're doing them a favour as well as them doing you a favour you know it's sort of teammanship it's not it's definitely a yeah. two way thing and yeah. it's also something they can't do themselves. Now, we're going to talk about your <laughs> training fairly shortly. Um, but first of all, we're going to have a track that you've chosen. So do you remember which track it was? I think I made, named a few. Which you one named is this? a few. It's the one that you, f- you left. Your oh, is this um, You Can Get Your Own Way it by Fleetwood Mac? Tell us why we're going to listen to this track. Oh, then. I love this piece. This um, has a very nostalgic memory of finishing my training in Florence, where I'd been for three years. And I was just getting onto the coach to get back to the aer- uh, the, aer- well, the aeroplane, the airport. Um, and uh, this song, I played it, you know, you can go your own way. <laughs> and I was just like, OK, it's actually happening now. Because, of course, I'd wanted to do it since I was seven. I was now, I don't know, 22, let's say. That's a lot of years to get yourself up and to go from like thinking that will be the thing that happens to yeah. this is the thing that happens. This is the song that always makes me remember that moment of sort of launching into the real world and trying to make it happen. Amazing. So for Harriet, here is Go Your Own Way by Fleetwood Mac. Loving you isn't the right thing to do How can I ever change things that I feel 
Now, I'll be honest with you, I've never heard that track before. Harriet said, can we play a track for Seb that's by Nick Drake? And that is Nick Drake at the chime of a city clock. It's quite nice. Aw, Harriet sat here looking so happy. Yeah, you generally are one of the happiest people I ever know. You're always smiling. Thanks. Praise indeed. <laughs> Thank you. It's nice. It's, it's almost that moment of you wake up every day and you love your job, and it's therefore why not smile? Exactly. Exactly indeed. So, uh, so yeah, welcome back. For those that weren't here in the first part, story to tell today was me, Rich Bobasan, until midday. And we've got Harriet Dahan Bouchard. I'm going to try and do it in that hello. accent. Hello, hello. <laughs> it's that, that moment every time. Um, and she's a portrait artist. And you originally went to Florence to learn how to do your artistry. Tell us about that. Why did you choose Florence? Uh, so I chose Florence because um, at the time, I think I think there is a resurgence happening in the UK now where the opportunity to be able to train more classically is starting to exist. Um, but especially being taught by people who have been to um, either the school that I went to in, in Florence um, or the sort of the rival one. And actually, about 20 years ago, they were actually connected. Okay. Possibly 30 years ago now, They're actually. They're rival artists' <laughs> rival. schools. Yeah. <laughs> Just imagine it's Romeo and Juliet times here, almost. Not far off, yeah. <laughs> I think the, head, the heads weren't talking to each other for a few years, so okay. yeah, really not far off. <laughs> right, okay. Um, but uh, I think all well, that's good now. Um, okay, so tell me, what was your question again? <laughs> And again, for those that weren't here in the first section, okay, so the general theme of today is going to be, I'll ask a question, Harriet will chat for about a minute and then try and figure out what the question was in the first place. So I think we've got our general theme. What was Florence like as a city then? Let's go down there. Okay, so Florence was amazing. Um, There was the classic romantic... Um, sort of visuals of cycling across the Ponte Vecchio at seven in the morning en route to get your sort of, I don't know, espresso and go off to the studio. It all sounds horribly romantic, and it was. Um, That's lovely, though. You know, lots of people go to, you know, go to school, go to university in in Bury. I I don't know. Do you know what? I was thinking across the whole UK then. And I was like going to school in, and I was then like going, right, what's the place I can pick that's not going to offend too many people? But but I'm like going, it needs to be, and I don't know why I chose Bury. I don't even know where, I know where Bury is, but I don't even know what Bury's like. Um, I nearly <laughs> chose my hometown of, you might of, I nearly chose my hometown of Portsmouth, and I thought, oh, I can't say that. Southampton, there we go, I can say Southampton. Oh, I know, if you're in Southampton, oh, careful, Rich. That's okay, I don't mind that. Portsmouth and Southampton have a rivalry, okay, uh, okay. so long, long going back, and uh, so yeah, okay, people so. from Portsmouth don't like people from Southampton. Likewise, the other way. Theoretically, okay. of course. I'm sure there are nice people in Southampton. Just never met one. No. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> so, we're going back to Florence. Okay, so back to Florence. What were you talking about, Florence? My training. Talking about, talking about your training and how you rode across a bridge on oh. a bike and it was all romantic and it was lovely. Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah. So, basically, in, I, I found at the time when I was training, I always knew that I wanted to paint portraits of people that basically looked like the person okay and in the uk i found it was quite difficult to actually find the training that existed um because i think also at the time it was seen as being quite unfashionable whereas now it's actually coming much back much more back into play again this is the kind of scenario of like you're going into stately homes and you're seeing all these massive portraits on the walls yeah and like who painted those originally and as you say who's painting those now it's you 
me and a, f- a few others. A few others. <laughs> not just um, me. But, but it's, it's very niche, though, isn't it? There's not. Mm. I, I'm guessing there's not that many people that do no, it. No, I suppose we are. We are a handful of um, sort of lunatics who have decided to launch into life in this yeah. manner <laughs> sort of through extreme optimism. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So Florence was the place you chose, or was that the place that literally so had the available? Flo- so Florence, option? I chose Florence because there was. Um, two schools there there was the Florence Academy of Art and a place called Charles Cecil Studios Um, and I trained at Charles Cecil Studios which was the slightly smaller of the two Um, and basically the two used to be connected and then the two um, men Daniel Greaves and Charles Cecil who ran the studio, they both had slightly different ways of wanting to approach the teaching. So hence the divide. And uh, so the the Florence Academy of Art tends to be more... Um, they're both very figurative, which means that what you see is what you get, kind of thing. You're drawing the thing that you're looking at. Um, but uh, yeah, Florence Academy tends to be slightly more academic in its teaching. So uh, they'll look much more at the muscle structure underneath the skin. And okay. so they'll have much a better understanding of the anatomy, I suppose, behind. Whereas Charles's um, philosophy was much more looking at a picture um in terms of creating something to do with light, dark, structure, what makes a painting interesting. And Florence Academy also, um, you know, it's not to say that they don't do that, they also do that, but I think it just results in very slightly different end results, but they're both fantastic, and yeah. one is not better than the other at all. Um, I love your political correctness there. That was amazingly done. I'd just like to point that out. <laughs> just pedal. Um, so... Yeah, I, I mean, it's really important to recognise. I mean, both are phenomenal places. Yeah. Um, so the Charles Cecil Studios where I trained, they would take about 13 students per year. Okay. Um, so a very small amount. Um, and then that would, you'd sort of have half of those drop out probably in the second year. So that you'd, so I think probably by the end of it, there was maybe 25 students wow. in total in the whole thing. And you'd live this sort of, very surreal um, and beautiful existence in Florence where downstairs you had the Romanelli studio where you had these um, sort of like the classic have you ever watched Tea with Mussolini? I'll be honest no (laughs) it's quite an old (laughs) film but um, anyway so you had the traditional sort of sculpture studio downstairs and uh, Romanelli whose uh, grandfather I think did a lot of the uh, sculptures to go on the outside of the churches in Florence so he's still sculpting so his He's had that passed down through generations. So you've got that inspiration happening downstairs in this amazing place, just full of huge horses and, you know, sort of women sort of with their arms dramatically wrapped around them and hair yeah. and whatever. Um, and then upstairs, we were in this little old chapel. Um, so there was two studios. There was the one where you'd go in the morning to do life drawing. And there was the one in the afternoon that you'd go to do portraits. And you'd have your own model which you'd share with one other person. And you'd sort of go backwards and forwards between these two studios. And you'd work on a picture for maybe two weeks, let's okay. say. So the first year, we were only allowed to touch um, uh, charcoal. We weren't allowed to touch paint. So the whole thing was based on learning to draw what you're looking at. So really taking i mean when i remember the first time we were told that we were going to be spending two weeks on one drawing of course in the uk i mean you know you spend two hours on one drawing and that's a long period of time right or that's that was sort of i'm not saying that everyone does that but that you know people expect things to be produced much faster and the idea of having to slow down 
and really stop and really look at what you're looking at and mm. that being okay was quite a foreign concept and it's incredible when you actually do slow down how long it takes to actually produce a decent picture because the, it's I think it's like anything the more you know the more you realise there is to know yeah. <laughs> and so the longer it takes um, and so yeah it was just a really intense um, it was an atelier so I, I've come into the world with zero qualifications really I don't have a university degree um, but I've got a lovely portfolio and a good understanding of how to draw what I'm looking at which ultimately was always my dream so well, a university degree isn't going to help you paint pictures no exactly no one's ever going to ask you or no three years studying Florence will Exactly. So that's that's so that is your. So you just got to go down your path well, in life. That, that you? is your university degree, yeah. though, isn't it? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Having a piece of paper that says you've got a two-one in geography is not going to help you. Not really, no, but you know, you're going to get your commissions by having that experience and that that wealth of knowledge. Now we are doing. So you have two names, don't you? Okay. In regards that you have your professional name of Harriet Deham Bouchard. Uh-huh. Okay, but that's not your full name, is it? So we we quite often we we spoke on the way about the fact that you're you're quite well spoken. We'll, we'll say that live on radio, okay? <laughs> and I was like, oh, you've got a double-barreled name. So that obviously makes you quite well-spoken. And you said, no, no. What is it? <laughs> it's triple-barreled It's triple-barreled, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your full name now then, Harriet? So my name now, without sounding like a total snob, is <laughs> Harriet Pryor Dahan Bouchard. <laughs> there you go. How beautiful. Luckily, Seb came with quite a short one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll rephrase that another time. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about Seb a bit later on, actually, when we talk about dancing a little bit more. But uh, but you've kept your normal, your Dahan Bouchard for your professional. I think it was confusing enough as it was. I thought <laughs> Let's keep things reasonably simple. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, we're going to play another track. We're going to come back, though, and we're going to talk more to Harriet fairly shortly. They're spinning around and Kylie Minogue gets Richard Bobson here until midday today. So I'm here with Harry and just before the news, we're going to talk about advice for people. Okay, If you do want to ask any questions, it's studio at radiobath.com or you can text your message to Bath, followed by your message to 80011. But we're going to talk about advice very quickly. So you're a portrait a portrait artist you've also done illustrations which we're going to talk about later on but kind of what advice would you give to anybody that's kind of a budding artist stay positive okay is the most important thing i think um probably my biggest asset apart from being reasonably well trained so putting that aside um is just being optimistic and giving things a shot and don't think that you're not capable because it's not in your comfort zone because um, the most interesting doors that I've had open in my career have always been things where the opportunity has been good, but it's been out of my comfort zone. Mm. And I've been really scared to take it on, but I've also thought failure is not an option. Like You have two choices. You can either fail, which isn't an option, or you can succeed at it and you can find a way to make it work. Um, and And people, I think if you're open with people and you sort of... 
if I'm a bit nervous about it, I mean, we'll talk about the illustration afterwards. Mm. Um, but I mean, that, that all started, and I remember the first time I did anything to do with that, I said to the client, look, if it's an absolute disaster, you don't pay me, and we won't put it out in public with my name attached to it, okay. and just pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> okay. Um, but I thought, actually, you know... I think that's, but I think that's just life as well. It's it's very easy. I think doing anything creative, or just just generally lifing, yeah. But um, doing anything creative, I think you're automatically told it's going to be difficult. And um, don't get me wrong, people aren't wrong. <laughs> but um, but how you approach it, I think, is fundamental to succeeding. Because um, firstly, people like interacting with positive people. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's a big quest. It's a big one, isn't it? Cause it's really it, difficult because you have online now. You have all these like experts giving art advice yeah. on social media. I'm terrible. I haven't updated social media for about a year. It was my new. I, I, I did try and resolution. go on your website. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually well. having it remade at the moment. I realised the other day I haven't touched it for about seven years. No. So <laughs> if anyone goes on that, it's because I live in the Renaissance. <laughs> I don't understand You're, you're based in 1500. Oh, basically. <laughs> your techniques and your website is <laughs> and based <my> in 1500. <laughs> exactly, and I'm not even offended. <laughs> but you talk about failure, and I was reading a fantastic book recently that the more people fail, actually, the more they're going to succeed. Now, you have the downside of your work is going to be there, and it's going to be a physical piece. Now, I'm on radio. I can look back a year ago and when I first started being here or so, and I look back and I think... The shows were okay, but I'm much better now. But those pieces have gone. They're mm. not there in pub. Well, they are still there on podcast. Life off the stage. If you want to listen to the podcast, advertising yeah. <laughs> quickly. Um, but if you, you know, you go back to those and you think, well, it, it wasn't this and that and the other. But your pieces are always going to be there. Do you sometimes look back at some of your older pieces and think, ah, oh, I almost wish I could redo that, or that bit's not very good, or how could I have changed that? Hundred percent. I mean, I won't name and shame them, but there's a few pieces I look back at and I just think, oh, <laughs> why is that still here? <laughs> but obviously, I can't say who that is because no. or who they are because um, you know the clients might well, be less. But I'm sure <laughs> at the time they were still very happy with them. Oh yeah, I mean the thing is, I think, um, I and mean, this is definitely the bonus of going into this when you're a little bit younger. I mean, I'm 35 now, so I've mm. been doing it for a few years, um, but still pretty young in the yeah. grand scheme of things. Um, I think probably sort of launching off. People do... I think if you talk with people and you explain that it's a journey and people do tend to be pretty accommodating, yeah. funnily enough. And actually, I think people like supporting people who are trying um, I've got some very good patrons, very sort of loyal people, and they always sort of say, you know, if there's a if there's a problem, come to me and I'll find you somewhere, which is lovely. And I've never had to take anyone up on that. But it's a lovely thing to have people... It's nice to have that as your backup, isn't it's it? It's really lovely. When you haven't got a regular income and yeah. you've got no guarantee of work, because if I actually stopped and... I, I mean, this okay, this is a really good example of how to look at life. So I've got two options. I'm a self-employed artist with no guarantee of future work, um, no regular income and um, yeah it's just you know you could look at it like that which if I start thinking about it probably sends me into a spiral of high, high anxiety um, on the flip side of it if we're going to be optimistic about it I think um, well brilliant no one can fire me for a start so go. I have complete job security um, there's no cap on my income I could make millions 
I mean, we're yet for that to happen, but it's still you there. Know, it's not to say it won't happen. <laughs> One can dream, um, and um, you know, it's it's sort of it's very much. There's always two sides to a coin, isn't there? Absolutely. Um, and you, the thing that you do have a choice in is your approach into how to go forward. If you instantly feel defeated, you're going to be defeated because a, no one wants to deal with you, but two. You know, you well, won't want to deal with yourself. You are a very positive person, and we're going to hear more from you mm-hmm. after the break. <laughs> Who doesn't love a bit of meatloaf? And tonight on Radio Bath, Brady and Mills are doing a meatloaf special between 7 and 10 o'clock. So do listen into that. There's Dead Ringer for Love by the lovely meatloaf. Now, nobody saw then I was doing air drums, but uh, there I we did. go. <laughs> I know you saw, you're sat opposite me, it's all good. So for those that weren't listening in the first hour, it's Richard Boverson here until midday, and I've got Harriet Dahan-Bouchard in. She's an artist, a portrait artist, and we're going to talk all about the arts now. So actually the principle about how you do it, how long it takes and all of that. So first of all, tell us what's the main medium that you work in to start with then. So with the portraits, uh, there's two mediums I work in, oil paints and something called sanguine, which is like a sort of a a reddy brown chalk pencil charcoal kind of thing. Um, So with the oil paintings, uh, they tend, well, it completely varies. So I think earlier I talked about how we were trained to work purely from life. Hmm. um, And that means having the the sitter in front of you and um, sort of taking your time to put down what you're seeing. Um, And I still use the same principles. So the the method that I use is called sight size. And it goes back to around the 1500s, sort of the start of the Renaissance. And... um, it's a painting technique that almost completely died out um, about sort of in the last 50 years because it became sort of, you know, with the, well, especially with the modern art movement, so a bit before that it became less, um, uh, less of a priority in the art world. But um, basically it goes back about 500 years and it's all about stepping back from your sitter. So you'd have your model in front of you and you make all your observations from a few metres back. So you've got your painting, your canvas lined up alongside sort of that with their temple if you're painting at life size or right. further forward if it's under life size. I don't know if that will mean anything to anyone. Not in the um, slightest. Tell us what that does brilliant. mean. <laughs> Which bit did I confuse you on? Under life size. Under life size. So basically the head would be smaller than it is. Okay. And life size would be if you took my head as it is right now, popped it onto a canvas, that's life size. Okay. Which is All the right. size in life. Thank you for clearing that <laughs> Um, so, so, so let's for simplistic value um, okay we'll talk about life size portraiture so you'd have the canvas lined up with the person so that would be next to them and then as the artist you would step back quite a few metres squint at them there's a lot of squinting involved and so the idea is to build up the general shape of them so you actually start off quite broadly you start off with the shadow shapes so you're sort of anchoring in um, things and I always explain when because I suppose if people don't um, have a sort of unt- artistic understanding, they're going to wonder what on earth I'm talking about. But I suppose the ba- basic principle of it is you're doing something that's going to look like the person, but the way that you get it down onto the canvas is you're making observations that are the overall sort of visual facts of them. So if you imagine someone 
walking down the street from a distance, mm. the thing that you wouldn't recognise would be their eyelashes or the way that their hair's sort of quiffed that day or something. Or yeah. um, the things that you would recognise would be the shadow shapes in their sockets or, you know, the sort of the angle of their shoulders, those things, you know. So that's how you recognise people from afar, not because okay. of the small details, not because of the pores in their skin. Now, we have, a, we have a dancer at dancing that, I'll be honest with you, has, and you will, you will know who this is, and she has a different look every time I see her to the extent where I saw her in the street the other day and I didn't actually recognise her because she was completely it was like it was a completely different person and I've never known anyone have different looks about them but that type of person you're saying you could recognise by trying to observe their shadows I mean they'd make it tricky I remember painting a portrait when I was training and I think the guy had dreadlocks and it was going really well and then on the last day when I was just trying to or the last couple of days when I was trying to get it he came in with a shaved head right and I was like well that's just great <laughs> thank you <laughs> did you then just rub out all of the uh, you can't really rub I out left, oil. I think I left them in and just sort of worked with imagination at that point but I was just like I'm, why would you do that <laughs> I'm just imagining now me with you know this is the expertise I have in art you've just done a beautiful oil painting and I'm there with an eraser trying to rub the oil out that, that's the level of skill it's I have. Bit, yeah, I also had the same with um, a bishop I painted. Uh, lovely guy. And um, we turned up with the portrait because uh, I think I mentioned before, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but I turned up, presented the portrait to him and he'd lost something like five stone. Oh, wow. And <laughs> it was a beautiful picture and it did, he was recognisable. Luckily, he was wearing his robe so he was sort of much more covered up so it wasn't quite so apparent. But um, So yeah, how do you do <laughs> that then? So let's let's say we've got that scenario, lost five stone. Presumably you need to chop some part of their body off oh. how do you do that on an oil painting i mean you don't okay <laughs> you, sort of, you come in as you are uh, like, i'll be kind i think naturally the technique that i use lends itself to being quite flattering because you're stepping back and squinting so you're not okay. and also i mean with me personally um i tend to i've always sort of fluctuated slightly with my weight i've never been super skinny so i know the bits that people don't want emphasized oh. so i think my subconscious automatically eliminates anything that sort of veers towards double chin or you know, <laughs> the bits that you don't necessarily want amplified i had a beautiful picture of me that my sister i think i'd taken the picture and i think I, in a joke i'd sent it to my sister but it's a scenario that when you can lower your chin down and i think i managed to get eight chins and you know i'm not That's particularly impressive. large You're not at all. Um, but i managed to get eight chins in my neck roll and it, it looks like the most horrific picture in the world and she <laughs> very kindly for my birthday a few weeks ago published that picture oh. i was i was delighted sisters i really great, was sisters are amazing <laughs> they really are amazing so let's imagine the scenario that i'm i'm coming into your studio and it's in bradford Haven. is that right it's in bradford Haven. okay now. so i come into your studio i've commissioned you and i've paid you four pounds fifty to paint me and we'll we'll just guess You're it's that generous, price thank you. i know twice the price <laughs> okay so how long would a painting a portrait of myself take would i sit there for the entire time do i have to take a couple of weeks off work what's so, the scenario so what i tend to do now um and i know that there's a lot of snobbism in the art world against this but i think also at the same time you've got to survive and i think the first three four years when i came back i, re I refused to work from photographs at all i was sort of you know you've got to paint from life blah 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 this is the training blah, blah. Um, and then I realised actually some paintings were taking a year and a half to produce because I was relying purely on having people in for sittings mm. and you know traditionally having your portrait painted goes hand in hand um, or in, used to in the past it doesn't anymore thank goodness um, but it used to be for very wealthy people whose days probably consisted of only hunting having dinner parties and 
I don't know what I'm else drinking they champagne in a hot tub. And exactly. I'm <laughs> drinking champagne in a hot tub. I'm not sure they had hot tubs, did they? Not <laughs> <in> 1500s, no. <laughs> no, the equivalent of back then. And um, so, of course, they had time to sit for portraits and things. And you'd probably have your artists come and sort of stay in your massive mansion. And um, you'd sort of, they'd become part of the scenery and that would be a thing. Um, whereas nowadays, of course, people who... I mean, most people have a job. You very, very rarely come across people who have no job. Um, and are just incredibly wealthy and their main aim in life is just to be sort of immortalised onto canvas. It's just, it's not a thing anymore. Um, So um, you've got to learn to be adaptable with the times. So what I tend to do now is I get people in for a couple of sittings or, you know, sitting or two sittings. I do a sketch of them from life um, and then I take photographs and then um, I've got the lovely DigiPrint in Bath who, um, big shout out to them, have saved my soul, <laughs> my career or whatever. Um, they are brilliant. And we have many discussions about how big is a human's head, <laughs> depending okay. on the person. We're trying to work out, is it 22 centimetres high, 17? Um, so we sort of get a rough thing and then they print up these enormous pictures for me, uh, which I then put up next to my canvas and then I use exactly the same technique. But of course, having had a chance to get to know the sitter a bit um, because for me I feel my my job as a portrait painter is to depict the person in a way that is true to them that hopefully people would recognize something about their personality in the future that's what i was going to ask actually so if you were to paint me for instance and i'm not asking you to paint me it's absolutely <laughs> fine um but trying to get some personality into a picture i don't know how i would do that because my stick figures you know if i've got one line or two lines that's that's quite challenging <laughs> to get personality into that i put a smile on i think that's, that's what good. i do um, but how would you do it in your oil paintings <laughs> Um, I don't know. I suppose it's just... It's, I think there's a lot of expression in the eyes, but again, it is just a case of spending time with it. I mean, often... Um, yeah, you just need to spend time with it. I mean, sometimes I paint a picture and it will take... You know, a painting can take a couple of weeks to a couple of months to produce, depending on um, what the subject matter is, how big it is, etc. Um, and... You know, sometimes there's just something that's not quite going right and then you just have to live with it for a little bit, um, which is definitely the bonus of having your studio at home rather than having to go to people for sittings as well, apart from being able to control the conditions that you're painting in. And and then suddenly something will click and you go, ah, that leg. I mean, I did it a couple of months ago. The leg was in completely the wrong place. He looked... I'd made the man look like he was in a sort of... He was being wheeled by his wife, I realised. And sort of... It was slightly impressionistic, but it just wasn't right. He looked like a sort of kept man. And that wasn't the vibe we were going for at all. And then I needed to completely change the leg angle. So I just sort of... um, said look would you be happy if you come in for a sitting I'll get some more sort of ideas do a few sketches and then we'll just put that into place and it completely changed the dynamic of the picture and then suddenly it fell into place so sometimes it's just sort of pushing through but there is always a way to make it work you just have to sort of stick at it just gotta keep going <laughs> it's, not an it's kind of being part almost part of that person when you're painting and just imagining how they would be is in my my mind how it kind of all works um we're gonna have a little break but when we come back we're going to talk about how you were in lockdown and illustrations as well uh-huh. so back after this And there's Dreams by the Cranberries. It's Richard Bovesen here until midday today. On a story to tell, it's Harriet de Hambouchard. 
I must stop doing the French accent. I know, I keep wanting to say hello. 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 <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about the fact that lockdown had, like for myself being a dance teacher, it shut my business. Um, I think lockdown had a bit of an impact on yourself as well, didn't it? What happened? It did. I mean, being a portrait painter, um, obviously... Uh, so lockdown wasn't terribly conducive to having people in for sittings um, and if you, even if you could they'd have to wear a mask which isn't really how people it's quite difficult to draw somebody with a mask not on not the best no. no not probably how they want to spend money being no. depicted <laughs> um, so uh, I was quite lucky luckily because I'd adapted my business to be able to work also with photographs I had quite a few um, sort of commissions lined up so that kept me going through the first couple of lockdowns whilst I sort of ploughed through those but by the time we got to the third one um, I had run out of um, sort of proper oil painting things and I thought oh god what am I going to do um, and quite romantically <laughs> very sweetly probably a little bit cheesy um, at the start uh, Seb and I my, my now husband um, we'd only be going out for a couple of months before the first lockdown had started and um, and uh, we basically I made it my life mission to every week I decided we need to sort of remember the good times this is the only way that we're going to well not the only way we also had FaceTime but um, you know I thought it would be a really fun way of creating a visual diary where every week um, I would send him a little drawing an illustration of either a date we'd been on or something funny that had happened and in response I'd get sort of half a torn up um, postcard back with some scribbling on the back you know whatever was accessible during the, those so this days. So is, this is not oil now is it? No no these are little watercolour illustrations. Okay. Um, so these are much more relaxed um, and actually my uncle David is a huge influence in all of these where he very sadly died from kidney failure when I was 11 um, but he's always been a huge um, influence in my life and again going back to being positive because he was someone who trained to be an architect was on dialysis twice a week and um, he found that he couldn't actually draw the architectural drawings that he needed to do okay. as before computers and things really um, because his hands were too shaky and so rather than thinking right that's it <laughs> I'll give up um, he actually went into children's book illustration and it ended up being his forte that the drawings were slightly wibbly and wobbly and okay. um, they always had great humour in them and that's always been a massive influence for me um, and I thought god if someone going through that can literally have a second career and he ended up being um, sadly he was too ill to be able to continue but he was the first ever publisher signed um uh, illustrator um, assigned to do the Horrid Henrys. Oh, wow. Um, which is quite an amazing turnaround Absolutely. when you're sort of ill, <laughs> you know, yeah. dying, basically. Um, so really proud of that. And it's been a fantastic example of how actually you can be having a really bad time, but you've always got the choice of how you approach things yeah. going forward. Um, so that's always been really inspiring. So that's been in the sort of the background. Um, and of course, I've been able to look at his books and see how he did this, that, the other. So anyway, I started doing these things for Seb. And then by the time we got to the third, so obviously I didn't do it for the whole year because I would have been <laughs> exhausted. But once we could see each other, it stopped. But um, then by the time we got to third lockdown, I couldn't work on any oil paintings because I'd run out of sort of big things to work on. Um, so I could do a few animals, things like that, that didn't need sittings. Um, and... Uh, but I thought, well, you know, they were good fun. Um, let's see if anyone else is interested. So I set up a little Instagram page and I thought, I'll just keep it separate and see if I can sort of pay the food shop each week for me or yeah. something. And anyway, it's sort of taken off as a second career, which is amazing. Um, and I think it's hysterical, but in a really nice way, because 
honestly, I just stumbled into this with a smile on my face, just thinking, let's just see what happens. And last Christmas, I ended up doing the window displays for um, a company called Osprey London, who do sort of handbags and belts and all that, which I just thought was brilliant because I have absolutely no idea how they found out about me. stumbled into that situation but I did I think it was because I'd, I'd painted a portrait for someone that they knew and then they sort of contacted me um, so that was fantastic and they were all around the country um, and now I do sort of like the annual Christmas cards for various companies and aboard. I've seen these Christmas cards they are I'm going to call them very intricate because <laughs> they're, they're kind of like a scene and there's uh, the one I have in my memory is, is mice being on there oh, that's as well this year's one. And mice on ice mice on ice but there's <laughs> It's not just like one ma- mice, one mouse, one mouse on an ice skating. It's there's lots, oh, yeah. and there's like almost hundreds of characters on one card. So my question I've got, just very quickly for you, is: Does it start off like a massive painting almost, and then get shrunk down? Because you can't draw surely that small. Oh, I've got an iPad now. Okay, which is brilliant. So I do do the watercolor ones as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was finding that what was happening was when I was photographing. So the first couple of Christmas cards I did, I was photographing them to produce and then of course the colours don't the colour balance doesn't work out with if they go more acidic or you just it basically it's lucky dip you don't know how the cards are going to print up and the quality of the image is never as good um so i invested in an ipad and i've learned how to use um i think it's procreate okay and i love it it's so much fun and you can still draw completely freehand so they're all still i, I use it exactly the same way that i would use a pencil but and paper. it's all electronic now but it's on the screen and you can set it to a setting so that the printer knows wow what colors it's going to come out so you have gone from florence 15 <laughs> Hundred techniques or the year's 1500 techniques to working on an mice. I- illustration <laughs> mice on an iPad. Well, yeah. that, that is an amazing journey, isn't it? And you can buy these cards, can't you? There's still a few available, I believe. Oh, I think I've got two packs left. Two this packs year. left. <laughs> okay. If anybody did you want have to, to bid get against each other for these ones now. If anybody did want to get them, how would they get hold of them, Harry? Because we can't go to your website. But, so. um, well, you can do the website. Okay. Just don't judge me from the website okay. currently because I haven't touched it for years. Um, but uh, yeah, the easiest way to get hold of me is probably actually going to the website website because my mobile number is on there and i think and my email address and remind us what the website is called uh so i hope you've got a pen and paper (laughs) um so it's harriet h-a-r-r-i-e-t and then dahan d-a-h-a-n bouchard b-o-u-c-h-a-r-d so just my whole name no hyphens or anything um at and what is it not an at it'll be a dot i'm I'm doing my my email now aren't i (laughs) harriet dahan bouchard dot com dot com fabulous with the www this is me and technology <laughs> that's okay i think we've worked out that it's it's sometimes challenging sometimes, yeah read between the lines that's okay <laughs> um we're going to come back and talk about dancing which is how we knew each other originally fantastic. and all about your first dance i generally cannot wait to chat about <laughs> it so uh, i'll get to find out what was what it was like from the other side so back with harriet after this all I can ever be to you is the darkness that we know And this regret I got accustomed to Once it was the ride, when we were at our height Waiting for you in the hotel at night I knew I had him at my match, but every moment He walks away, the sun goes down, he Love that track. 
There's tears dry on their own by Amy Winehouse. It's Richard Bovison here until midday. On a story to tell, we've had the lovely Harriet in all morning. And we're going to talk about a passion for both of us now, and that is dancing. <laughs> so for those that aren't aware, I'm a dance teacher normally, so I teach Ciroc. And Harriet, you started coming on. Which venue did you come along to? I came along to Bradford Naven. Hey. Life-changing experience. Richard. Why was it life-changing? <laughs> that was just so much fun. It's great. It's one of those eccentric things you do on a Monday night at St. Margaret's Hall. <laughs> it just sounds all very sort of English villagey, sort of popping along to learn a bit of dance. And um, I wasn't sure if I was going to take to it or not at the start. And I loved it. It's so much fun. It's a great way of meeting loads of different people, lots of different characters. Um, and just sort of swinging your way around a dance floor, you know. And how did you feel when you very first came into the room? Because I've always thought it must be quite an intimidating thing to walk into almost like an empty dance floor and then just sit there going, what's going to happen next? It was a bit nerve wracking. I remember explaining myself to a lot of people. This okay. is my first go. This is my first go. You know, be yeah. kind. But um, no, it was great fun. Really good. Good. And you do it with your lovely husband now, Seb. I okay, do. but we would always like to explain you don't just dance with your husband though, do you? Or dance with one partner? No, you barely dance with your husband. <laughs> dance with everyone else. <laughs> yeah, which is always quite a nice thing as well. But yeah, it's a nice sociable thing. And yeah. in Bath and in the local area, Bath on a Thursday night at Bath Eastern, we're there tonight. No, which is all good. Um, but you didn't just do dancing for Ciroc on a Monday night, did you? You did another type of dancing. What did we you didn't. do? You gave us the blessing of teaching us our first dance for our wedding back in June, which was possibly one of the most epic moments of my life. Oh, <laughs> that's so nice. Do you know what's really nice? Again, when I was, I, I call it research or stalking. It's one of the two. Um, <laughs> when I was looking at you, your profile picture on Facebook is of you in your first dance. Absolutely. Yeah, and an amazing position. Oh, it's fabulous, isn't it? Yeah. Super. You can bend your back in ways which I didn't think most people could <laughs> the things you learn about yourself <laughs> so how did you find your first dance then how was that for you how did i find it yeah how did you find it Get, going through the day and thinking i've got my first dance to do it was know. it was slightly nerve-wracking but i figured um i mean i think seb was quite nervous <laughs> uh, but he did so well i was so proud of him because um, of course the man has to lead it so mm. it's, it's much more on the guy to remember everything you're just following as a woman um I absolutely loved it. I think by that point, I mean, the whole wedding was slightly creative and mad and every single person that was there was just a great human. Okay. I don't think there was a single person who came to our wedding who wasn't just a genuinely really nice person who was there to fully just embrace oh, the amazing. joy of life. <laughs> it was just the happiest day ever. Um, and uh, I think by that point... You sort of the speeches are out of the way, which is always the big one. Yeah. Not, not that anyone at our wedding stuck to the speech script. My dad lost his. Um, Seb stood up and then sat down and said, "I think I'm going to sit down and feels more comfortable." And then just completely ignored anything he'd pre-prepared. Right. <laughs> which was beautiful. It was spoke so good. Spoke from the heart. Spoke from the heart. And then the, Charlie, the best man, had been allocated position of best man two weeks before the wedding. Okay. Um, and uh, I think Seb had said, "Don't worry about doing a speech." And then on the day he was like, "Well, if you want to do a speech, you know." go for it so he was popped on the spot oh wow so nothing was planned but I mean that was sort of um, how the whole day went which was beautiful it was it was very us so slightly chaotic creative um, and just utterly 
just perfect. I loved it. I don't think the words chaotic come into your play at all. They really don't, <laughs> which, is, which is good. How, so how did you feel? Did you tell people about doing your first dance? Only a few close okay. people. So expectations were very low. So for yeah. me, I've been to a number of weddings, and obviously as a dance teacher, I, I know what could be done. And, and I see the couple wobbling around, literally cuddling each other for three and a half minutes, and I think, right, there's a thousand, there's a hundred guests here, so we've got three and a half thousand minutes that have just been wasted of people's lives. I know. And that's what people's expectations are. And so much more awkward for the couple as well. Yeah, I just, mean, there's, like, I, I remember the first private lesson that we did with you, and you said, okay, just stand there and just sort of do what you would do naturally. And then by the end of it, you're like, okay, so stop um, holding Seb like he's your auntie or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I called it to, you're dancing with him it's like your great great grandma that was it great great grandma it was, just, it was so awkward and you don't realise how awkward it's going to be until you're actually put on the spot and you're like I have absolutely no idea where no. to put my hands right now or like, how close do you put your body or yeah. do you sway do you stay on the spot and just sort of awkwardly swish from I mean what do you do because you're never in that position normally no absolutely so, Go big or go home, I yeah. say. <laughs> and you guys went, you did an amazing dance. I've done, you know, hundreds of wedding choreographies over the years. And yours is generally one of my favourite ones ever. Aww. You did it brilliantly. You sent me the video. Thank you very much for that. And it's just a fantastic dance. So I was so pleased for you. I am genuinely the most nervous person in the world when I know it's people's wedding day because <laughs> they've put so much effort into doing their first dance and you just hope it goes well. And there's been the odd occasion when it hasn't gone well and that's mainly down to having the odd too many glasses of bubbly. Um, and I'm like, oh, you can, drink, risk, you can drink any other day of the year. Just this one. Just have a couple by all means, but don't get yourself you know, to the point where you can't do your dance because yeah. you put loads of effort and money into it. And it's like, but you guys were so good. And I always cry whenever oh, I watch any, did we anybody. Make you cry, you made me cry. Oh, oh good. I'm, I'm announcing it live already. You made me cry. But, uh, but there we go. If we don't break people, we're not happy. There you go. Well, we've got the quick fire round to go yet, which, you, you know, so for those that aren't aware, I ask 11 random questions, which Harriet doesn't get the identity of what those questions are. Except for the very first one, I'll give you the three minutes to work out what it's going to be, and that is what's going to be your favourite ice cream. So we're going to find out all about that after this. The Nursery Hilberton, proud sponsor of the. There's Millennium and Robbie Williams. Still watching the documentary about Robbie. Haven't quite got to the second half of it yet. I will watch it soon. Really good documentary on Netflix if you haven't seen it so far. Right then, it's time for the quick fire round, Harriet. How are you feeling about this? Quite nervous, actually. Quite nervous, yeah. yeah I don't know how good I am at thinking on the spot. <laughs> I genuinely don't give you the questions, do I? Absolutely so you, no idea. You've what's no happening. idea, except for the first question, of course, which is what is. Your favourite ice cream? Very easy answer. The pistachio from Swoon in Bath. Oh, wow. So even getting an actual place. Gelato, yeah. Okay, where's Swoon in Bath? And let's Swoon in Bath plug. is in is King, Kings... Oh, God. Kingsmead Square? Is okay. It, is it Kingsmead Square? I don't know. I don't know. Down the centre, sort okay. of where they have little pizza plays and stuff. And they do the most fantastic gelatos, which is sort of how they make them initially. Yeah. And it tastes exactly the same as this pistachio one I used to get when I lived in Florence. And that's Swoon in Bath, here A on Radio Bath. Bath. <laughs> Exactly. Going into my radio presenter mode. Very professional. Very, oh, indeed. Right, second question then. Are you tidy or messy? Oh, <laughs> probably more messy. I can imagine your studio being kind of... 
It's, it goes through phases. Occasionally I have a big clear up and then just chaos seems to descend. But I do try to keep it on top of it for Seb's sake because he's a naturally very tidy person. So I have I carry a lot of guilt constantly okay. now. So yeah. Seb's very tidy. You're very messy. Literally match made in he- I think heaven. it comes with the creative territory, doesn't it? It does, yeah. yeah. Creative mind. <laughs> I always know that if I have a messy desk, my mind is clear. Exactly. That's my thought process and I'm sticking with it. Uh, love or hate roller coasters? Oh, I've only ever been on one i think and i really enjoyed it and the older i get the more nervous i get about the fact it might break but i quite enjoyed it can you remember where that was uh is it thorpe park okay thorpe park yeah yeah it was a while about it must have been about 15 20 years ago okay it was great i really enjoyed it yeah roller coasters are great if you love roller coasters that's all good (laughs) right here we go very important question do you hang your toilet roll over the top or behind the back (laughs) over the top over the top why why uh, easy access <laughs> it is the right way am We've... i thinking about this the right way as in you've you got are. the leaf coming out towards you yes yeah of course it goes over the top of course there's only you... one way to hang it richard what next question it is painted to your right. <laughs> uh, do you eat your chocolate from the fridge or from the cupboard oh depends on the time of year okay go on well summer's got to be from the fridge right because no one likes two sticky fingers but yeah. um yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm happy to go straight at it. <laughs> yeah, if, if it's there, you Sometimes don't Sometimes there's just not enough time for the fridge. It depends no. on the chocolate as well. If it's got a caramel inside, you don't want it to go too solid. It's quite nice to keep it gooey. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. So your fridge or cupboard. I don't, don't think I've had that. Really? Yeah, in all the year. Oh, yeah, yeah you got to take... It's like people, you got to take each one as it comes. Chocolate's okay. very similar. All right. I think I know the answer to this. Do you make your bed in the morning? Yes. You do? Yes. Okay. Okay, why? Um, because Seb's trained me. <laughs> <laughs> he's made me a better person um, no it's very good actually. it's amazing the psychological difference it makes walking into your room when the bed is made you instantly feel slightly more on top of your, your game yeah um, absolutely which I think when I was younger was not something I fully appreciated and the follow up question is always do you have any cushions on your bed yeah oh, go on, oh, yes, I am the queen of cushions you're the queen of cushions <laughs> How many cushions do you have? Um, on the bed, we have a pillow each. We have um, some very nice big ones that go sort of behind and then a couple of sort of longer pillow-shaped ones that are quite padded and sit on the front. And then a beautiful one that was made by my friend Lottie. Okay. Shout out to Lottie, who made it for my birthday um, present last year. From uh, My grandma was an interior designer and it was a piece of fabric that we found in her house after she passed away and I oh. gave them to her to saying would these be useful and she really sweetly made me a cushion a beautiful Aww. one so well, I love the it the cushion's lovely it's just wrong being on a bed um, what is <laughs> I, I'm not a fan of cushions on a bed if I'm honest oh, with you oh they're fantastic if you've got a cough and you need to prop yourself up at night there's okay. nothing better than having the right equipment there alright okay alright I'll, I'll let Back you have that differ. one I'll let you have that one uh, what is your favourite breakfast Ooh, uh, at the moment I'm into porridge with a little teaspoon of peanut butter. Porridge and peanut butter? Mm, you know, okay. It's good. It's really I've never. Good with a tiny porridge, bit of honey. Is, porridge is one of the favourite answers, okay, but peanut butter and porridge I've not had. Really? Yeah. Oh, massively underrated. Okay. No, I really might, good. I might try that. With a little drizzle of honey or something. And maybe if you're feeling really adventurous, a few seeds. So I'm trying to get the process of peanut <laughs> butter and honey together. I'm trying to work out that taste. And I can't porridge. be the only person out here who hasn't. I don't know. I always thought that was a normal thing, but maybe not. Maybe I've just outed myself as a huge. Anything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> what is your go-to karaoke song? Oh, I don't do karaoke. You don't do karaoke. I have not got the voice of an angel, unfortunately. Do you not? No, I remember last year at the Bradford Naven. 
uh, Christmas lights switch on. By the end of it, most people had gone with the food vans and sort of shut up. And there was this chap who was singing on stage. So we sort of stayed. Me, Spencer, um, my flatmate, and um, uh, Seb, and we sort of stayed there. So he had some support. And then I think he took this as deep enthusiasm on our part and came down with the microphone and got me to finish the lyrics of a song. Okay. And it was awful. It was sort of like to you. <laughs> Well, at least you gave us a little rendition of it. <laughs> oh, it was awful. So, yeah, no, not my not my forte. Do you know what? The voice sounded okay, Thanks, if I'm Richard. honest with you. Uh, Favourite TV programme or film? Oh, really difficult. Uh, I'm really bad. Anyone who knows me knows that I don't retain the information of okay. what I'm watching. Um, I have to admit, I'm a secret... I probably shouldn't say this on air. I'm a secret Married at First Sight Australia oh. fan. <laughs> You, know, you, and my wife, you and my wife Zoe would have a fun day together. She loves it. She um, loves it. So that's that's like a sort of, but I probably shouldn't tell people that. No, that's it makes okay. me sound No, we're all allowed our guilty pleasures. Two questions left for you. If you came back in your next life as an animal, and I know you're quite rich, so I don't know how this will go, but if you came back in your next life as an animal, which one would you choose and why? Oh, um, I would be a quokka. Oh, go on. I have you ever quokka. heard of a quokka? I've never heard of a quokka. They live on a tiny island outside Australia. Right. They are the happiest. Uh, they're, they're wonderful. If you Google quokkas... I will. They are... Um, I don't even know how to describe them. They're like miniature bears, and they smile in people's photos. So people, I think, I think they're so happy because they have nothing that threatens them on the island. Yeah. So they are just thrilled to be alive okay. and people take photographs with them and they sort of photobomb them and they come in with a smile and life is just good Amazing. I would absolutely love to be a, a quokka. quokka fabulous and your last question Harriet and that is where is your happy place my happy place yeah. oh gosh um, oh my happy place I think surrounded by people I love I anywhere. think anywhere surrounded by people you love I think is an yeah, amazing I think answer that is, yeah I think that is there's nothing better than a really good time surrounded by all the people that you really value in life and at the end of the night just going brilliant amazing I loved that Harriet thank you so much for coming into Radio Bath today on A Story to Tell I hope you've enjoyed it thank you I've absolutely loved it good thank and uh, no doubt we'll get you back in again soon that'll oh. be amazing <laughs> uh, thank you very much thank you